Hello and welcome to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here and we're so glad that you're here. We use our mojo to really become greater leaders. Now, let's get started by listening to something good. If you're a leader with managers reporting to you, I want to ask you a few questions to ask yourself. Does your leadership team work seamlessly together? Are they focused and organized? Do they function well or fight each other? Do they communicate effectively or are they cloaked with confusion? Do they make decisions efficiently and effectively? Are they hiring, training, and keeping the best talent? If someone leaves, do you have an A player waiting on the bench? Well, if you can't answer yes to all the above, then perhaps I can help you and your team. I help leadership teams work together harmoniously and achieve greater business results. If you want a a free assessment and a discussion, just email me, steve at managermojo.com. Tell me you'd like to, to chat for a little bit and we'll schedule a call. Thank you. That's steve at managermojo.com. Welcome everyone to the Manager Mojo Show. Steve Caldwell here, and I'm thrilled to introduce my special guest, Mr. Morton Hansen. Now, Morton uh, is the author of the groundbreaking new book called Great at Work, How Top Performers Do Less, Work Better, and Achieve More. And I know we're going to have a great time today learning from Morton. Uh, Just as a little bit of background about him, uh, he is a management professor at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, He's also authored other books. He's the co-author with Jim Collins on New York Times bestseller, Great by Choice, and the author of the highly acclaimed Collaboration. He was formerly a professor at Harvard Business School and NCIAD in France. Uh, Professor Hansen holds a PhD from Stanford Business School, where he was a Fulbright scholar. Uh, He's been ranked as one of the world's most influential management thinkers by Thinkers 50, and uh, he also worked uh, in a consulting firm as well. He was born and raised in Norway and lives in San Francisco. Welcome, Morton, to the Manager Mojo Show. Glad to have you today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, it's it's our pleasure, and uh, I'm really excited to talk about your book. And before we uh, get started on the book, though, uh, why don't you share with our listeners what fun thing that you've been up to lately outside of work? You know, yesterday I came back from vacation in Cabo San Lucas, and um, for the first time we booked this tour where you actually swim with whale sharks. So you're out there in the oceans, and you get right up next to them, and you can see them kind of feeding there, and they are they are they're obviously not dangerous. Uh, even though they're called whale sharks, but that was an experience to be out there for all day, swimming with these magnificent creatures, and I was a little sort of apprehensive, you know, given their name, you know, being a shark and all. <laughs> well, Morton, I'm impressed, and uh, I'm certainly uh, I'm glad that you were there. I'm afraid that I would look way too appetizing to any shark that even wasn't in 
intimidating, and uh, I think I'd rather stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome back, and it sounds like a wonderful vacation. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, it was, surely was. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Morton, uh, your, your book, uh, I, I'll tell you, it is, it is truly uh, fun. It's a great read and filled with wonderful ideas. Uh, I know you spent five years really studying uh, the market, and uh, you now have given us real data on how we uh, can become even better, more effective in our work, how top performers, as you say, do less work better and achieve more. Uh, as we begin, though, what I'd like for you to do is share, in your first chapter, you share a little bit of your personal story about why you really became interested on what made people great at work. Why don't you share that with our listeners so they can get a sense of, of your background? Yeah, and there are kind of two, two motivations for this study and this book. One was my own work experience. When I started out working at the Boston Consulting Group in London, I had no work experience, so I had an incredibly great idea for how to succeed and be a top performance at BCG, and that was to work crazy hours. Mm -hmm. So I put in, you know, 60, 70, 80, even 90 hours sometimes on average per week working like crazy to try to be do really well. No, I did well, but then I came across colleagues, including someone I call Natalie, uh, who did even better work than me and worked fewer hours. And that puzzled me. I mean, how is it possible to do better work in fewer hours? And it's an interesting question. It's and so that always nice. puzzled me. But then I became an academic later on. And then with Jim Collins, we did the book Great by Choice, which is to a sequel to Jim's Good to Great, and it's studying uh, you know, what um, makes top-performing companies and leadership teams. And then I thought, well, you know, we should use the same kind of approach to studying why do some people perform better at work than others? That is to say, why do some managers perform better? Why do some senior executives perform better? Why do some employees perform better? And I wanted to provide some evidence because there are so many books and opinions out there to answer that question. But I, as an academic, I wanted evidence. So I crafted a 5,000-person study and where we have people across corporate America from small, medium-sized companies to large companies, uh, managers, senior executives, and, and individual employees, and to uh, answer this question. And after that's why it took five years, because that was a lot of data to analyze. <laughs> and, you know, uh, at the end of it, we came up with um, a pretty coherent framework, which is isolating seven key practices that explained about two-thirds of the difference in performance among those 5,000 people. Well, it, it, it's truly fascinating. And uh for our listeners, we're not going to have time to go through all of these. You're going to have to get a copy of this book. And I want to, I want to let our listeners know that uh, Morton's book is already on the Wall Street Journal's bestseller list for business, uh, Financial Times Business Book of the Month. Uh, the Washington Post has uh, deemed it one of the most, uh, the leadership books you should read in 2018. Uh, I'm going to add one other thing. I think that you should get it and study it. Because there's going to be great ideas that you can uh, can implement right away. 
Uh, and the thing, uh, Morton, that I enjoyed about this is it, it's not just the academic data analysis that tells you what to do. Uh, you use great stories throughout the book to exemplify uh, what these theories were. So I'm just going to summarize these seven, and then I want to talk about one of them in particular today. Uh, the, the seven theories that uh, Morton researched was, uh, this was the practice, and I'll just list them uh, straight from the book. Uh, one is do less, then obsess. Two, redesign work. Number three, learning loop. Number four, P-squared, which is match passion and purpose. Number five, forceful champion. Number six, fight and unite. And number seven, discipline collaboration. So uh, I, I promise you, listeners, when you start diving into this, you're, you're going to have a lot of th food for thought. But what I thought we would do uh, today to really give listeners a, a, a little idea of what they're going to experience, Morton, uh, we've all heard this term uh, to work smarter, not harder. Uh, why don't you tell us your take on this, uh, what your experiences were, and what you learned from the data? Yeah, so we, um, I started out with using that term, and I thought, well, let him, wait a minute, uh, what do we really mean by that term? And people mean a lot of different things. And it's, I mean, who wants to do the opposite? Nobody wants to work dumb, right? So right. work smarter. <laughs> We need to kind of fill that slogan with some real evidence-based practices for what that means. Uh, but the key thing here is that we have sort of a work harder paradigm, if you will, in corporate America today, which is we think that the harder we work, the more we get down and the more successful we are. So managers, you know, try to work hard themselves and get their staff to work really hard, and they think by piling on more work, more stuff that they can do, that more is better, and then we can accomplish more. And, and that's the work harder paradigm. Now, the top performer in my study did the opposite. They did not try to work harder, meaning like working longer hours and, and, and more things than others. They work differently. Make no mistake, they're not slackers. They're putting a lot of hard work, but that doesn't mean that they're trying to work harder than anyone else. They're trying to work different, and that's the work smarter paradigm. That's, that's a, the one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the, the practice you just mentioned. Those are, those seven constitute working smarter and not necessarily harder. Now, on average, they put in about 50 hours per week, uh, the people in my data set. So that's not slacking off. And, um, and then, then it's how you work, how you spend those 50 hours that really make a difference. Well, it absolutely makes a difference, and we see it all the time because people today, uh, I, I think that they actually are looking for the gold medal of number of hours worked in a week instead of what they actually got done. Yeah, and, that, and that's one of the problems, and that's one of the things that I talk about in the book, is that we have the wrong metrics for success and performance very often. And we think of, we have volume metrics or internal goals. You know, how much can we get done? How many boxes can we check? How many meetings with customers can we have? How many products and features can we get out the door this year? And so on. These are all volume metrics. But it doesn't mean that they create the most value. And top performance in my study, they were looking for value. How much value can we create in the time that we have as opposed to just filling, uh, filling the work with lots of activities? Yeah, absolutely, and it makes a, a big, big difference. And I, I want to dive into that just a little bit because 
you, one of those things was uh, to actually uh, start implementing a do less strategy and and then obsess and and you talked uh, one of those things you talked about was wielding the razor uh, and why don't you share a little bit about you know what are you what are you talking about if I were to tell a manager or a leader uh, wield the razor uh, what would that mean right so first of all the the, the the practice here is the do less than obsess and it's the most important practice of the seven in terms of driving performance and it really is a two-pronged strategy. First of all, do less means having a sh- hyper-focused orientation to work, really setting sharp priorities and being extremely careful about what you say yes to and what you say no to. And that's true for managers and true for individual employees. That's the first part of it. But that by itself does not produce top performance. And here's where I think we've gotten the idea of focus wrong in management. We think it's about choosing a set of priorities. But that's just the first step. We also need to do the second step, which I call obsession. And I chose that word deliberately. It means applying targeted, intense effort into those few things that you're trying to accomplish. And you need to do that in order to excel. Because if you're doing just a few things, they must be done exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. Because there will be someone else, another manager, another business, a competitor, who is choosing to do many things. So you need to do the few things you, you choose, do them exceedingly well. That's the, that's the do less than obsess part. Now, that means focusing. It means taking things away. It means saying no to things. And it goes hand in hand with the idea of simplifying. So much today is complicated in business, unnecessarily complicated and cluttered. With too many features in a product, too many steps in a process, and so on. And we only think of management as, as adding things, new things. After all, if you're a manager, you think that the way you're going to succeed in your job is to start new things, new initiatives, new committees, new products, new services, and we keep on adding things. How about doing the opposite? That's what our top performers did. They started subtracting things. Now, that might sound counterintuitive. I'm taking away things. How can I become a better performer? Well, if you take away things, the right things to take away, It means that the things you're now still doing are the right things to do, and you can do them better. So that's why I talk about wielding the razor. It comes from William Ockham. Ockham's razor is sort of an uh, idea from many, many hundred years ago of of, of pursuing the simplest thing is probably what it it means. And I think of in management, it's a dictum, as few as you can, as few metrics as you can, as few steps in a process as you can, as few features in a product, and so on. What is the minimum necessary for excellence is really the question. And it's the opposite question of saying how many things can we do. So given a great example of this uh, from a case study in the book. This is the Theater Care Hospital in Wisconsin. Now, some years ago, they were admitting patients for, with semi-heart attacks in the emergency room. And with a semi-heart attack, you need to get to surgery. You need to have surgery, and you need to get to that and finish the surgery within 90 minutes. Beyond 90 minutes, your risk of dying goes up. Now, in this particular hospital, they were not able to do the 90 minutes very often. So it was a dismal performance. Now, so they sat down and looked at this, and they thought about adding resources, equipment, extra doctors, right? That's how you can solve that problem. More resources to speed up the process. 
But then they started asking the opposite question. Are there things in this process, steps we can take away? And when they looked at the process, they saw that they actually had two times to diagnose the patient. First by the emergency room physician and second by the expert cardiologist. And then they thought, what if we take away the expert cardiologist and just diagnose one time, but when we do it one time, we need to do it right the first time. And of course, in the beginning, they said, are you crazy? Can you take away the expert cardiologist? <laughs> and only if you can train the first physician to do it properly. So they experimented with this idea, and it worked. And now they're getting all patients done within the 90 minutes. So think about that startling result. They improve the performance by taking a step away in the process. Right? That That's is a beautiful thing. You can. We need to diagnose once. You can't diagnose zero. <laughs> right, exactly. That would be dangerous. That would be Exactly. But we only need to diagnose one, and then we can speed up the process because we don't have to wait for the cardiologist to come around. So it's a beautiful example of taking away things. So I always challenge managers. I say, instead of adding metrics and goals and KPIs, how about taking things away and then forcing, you know, the number of slides in the presentation, the number of metrics, the number of activities, the number of tasks, the number of meetings, right? Don't get me started on meetings. Oh, I mean, my gosh. Have another whole yeah, problem, you and me right? both. Yeah, yeah it's the those. scourge of America. You're right. And do we need hour-long meetings? Maybe it can be 20 minutes. And do we need, you know, the, the, the weekly meeting? Maybe we don't need it. So the, when we take away clutter and everything, then we actually oftentimes improving our results. So I think there's a great thing from managers out there. I'm working with a, a current, um, a large company, 10,000-person company, and they're launched a new project where they call the sub subtraction project. What is the stuff we can take away? I think it's a wonderful project. That is a wonderful project. Uh, and it might actually mean that uh, people uh, would be able to have a life outside of work uh, and uh, to do some things uh, at, with their family that they would enjoy and not feel guilty because, you know what, they, they're mastering what they're supposed to do at work. Exactly. And actually, I have statistical evidence for that because in the last chapter, we looked at an additional question. If you can master these seven key practices, what does it do for your work-life balance, for your chance of burn-off, and for your job satisfaction? And if you master those seven, especially the do less than obsess, you are, have better work-life balance, you have lower chance of burn-off, and you feel more satisfied in your job. And it makes sense. Right? I'm working and focused on the few things that matter, and the rest I'm not doing. I'm, not saying, I'm saying no to that. Well, the, the thing that I love so much about the entire work is uh, how much sense, uh, in particular common sense, that it makes. Uh, but I think it's coming at it from a, a different uh, perspective, uh, that, that perspective that says, wait a minute, it, it, the answer is not always to work more yourself. Uh, it's not to do more. And to be able to look at that honestly, uh, I think uh, the key that I loved is that you, you went immediately from that and you started talking about redesigning your own work and how you thought about it. And you gave a phenomenal uh, example of uh, a man named Greg Green in a, in a school system. And, and if you don't mind, I'd love for you to share a little bit of that with our listeners today. Yeah, I think it's, it is a wonderful example. And Greg Green is the principal of Clinton Dale High School just outside of Detroit. 
And when he took over the high school, it was a failing high school. He was put on the list to be shut down. It was uh, the students um, were failing. They were not graduating and, and so on. And then he asked an incredible question of his teachers. He said, he asked, why do we send kids home with homework? And they looked at him, you know, dumbfounded, saying, well, what do you mean by that? And that's how we've always done it. It's been done for 300 years. You know, homework is one of the most universal words in the, in the world today. Yes, but he said, why? They're not doing their homework. We try to discipline them. They're just not doing it. Their homes are too chaotic. They have single families. There's a lot of things going on in their homes. And he said, from that question, he came up with this idea of flipping the school, which means that you do homework at school under the supervision and help of the, of the teacher. And at home, you listen to lectures via video clips. Right? It's a flip. It's the exact opposite <laughs> of a 300-year-old model. And he didn't sort of say, well, tomorrow we're going to flip. He said, let's start with a few experiments, a couple of classes, a couple of courses, and experiment it for a year or so. And then the results were incredible. And now the entire school is flipped. He became the first principal in America to flip an entire high school. And the results were they soared. People are not graduating in record numbers. They're not failing, and so on. And it's a perfect example of somebody who takes a 300-year-old model of how things are done, and he questions it. And then he comes up, he innovates, and comes up with a different way of doing it without adding resources and using very cheap technology. I mean, video clips are everywhere, right? Right, absolutely. So it's a, it's a great example of somebody who, and I, I say to managers, you should start asking dumb questions. Right? And Absolutely. It's because we, we, we think we live in sort of conventions. We're prisoners of our own conventions. And, and that's a problem because we're so used to things. Uh, for example, um, why do hotels have reception check-ins? Well, you know, do, you need, do we really need that? Now there are hotels that are started doing without that. Mm-hmm. Uh, why do kids have two months of vacation? during the, sc- the school year? Well, it turns out, actually, you know, the reason why they have two months, which is sort of in many places in the world, is because back in the day, kids were living out in the, in the farmland and they had to help on the farm. There's no other reason. I mean, that's, lo- that's long gone. So we have these so many conventions, and we can, we can innovate work, and we can perform so much better if we just challenge them, like Greg Green did, and we start changing things. A, a totally phenomenal example, and uh, there, there's so much more that, in the book, and I encourage you listeners to really study this example because it's gonna help you learn how to challenge that, well, we've always done it this way mentality. And if you can learn to challenge that, I promise you, you're gonna, you're gonna get greater results. And, uh, this book really helps give us a lot of different ideas about how to approach things. Morton, uh, I know people are going to want to know more about your book, so I think this is a good time. Why don't you share how they can connect with you? Yeah, the best place is to go to my website where I have additional resources. I also have a quiz. You can take a very brief quiz that will enable you to stack yourself against the 
um, the other people in, in the data set along the seven principles and to kind of see where you're strong and where you might need uh, to improve. And the website is www.mortenhanson.com. Let me spell that. M-O-R-T-E-N-H-A-N-S-E-N.com. Absolutely. And uh, for those of you listeners that are exercising right now, uh, don't hurt yourself. Just look in the post. We will have uh, a link right there for you to make it easy to go to Morton's website. And I have uh, taken the quiz and looked at the quiz. I'm telling you, it's worth going to do. So I want to make sure that you uh, take advantage of, of Morton's offer here. Morton, uh, the, the book itself I know is going to be studied uh, for years to come because of the way that it changes or causes us to change our thinking. Uh, in, at Manager Mojo, we like to have action items that we need to start thinking about what we can do right away. And I'm curious, uh, what would you consider to be your top two action items that you recommend that managers and leaders begin to think about today? So uh, two things. Number one, ask your team and ask yourself, do we have the right, the right metrics of performance? How do we change our metrics? And number two, create a stop doing list. What are the things we do not need to do that are just distractions and that can allow us to focus better? Call it a subtraction project. Call it a stop doing list. Post a question to your team. What are the top three things we should stop doing? I guarantee you, you will have some real good discussion and it would sharpen the focus. Wow, I love both of those action items, Morton. I, I happen to believe, uh, because I've had experience with doing those two things, uh, that uh, I promise you it is life-changing when you begin to really understand what the key metrics are. Not all the BS that people collect. Uh, that is an action item every single one of us should do immediately. And uh, the, the subtraction list, or I like it better to... What can we stop doing now? Uh, what a great, great recommendation uh, for all of us to take. Those are two outstanding examples, uh, Morton, and I appreciate you sharing those. Uh, my guest today has been Mr. Morton Hansen. He's the author of the groundbreaking study and book called Great at Work, How Top Performers Do Less, Work Better, and Achieve More. Morton, congratulations on the study, and I, for one, uh, am thrilled to see this data because a lot of the things that you talked about, I have learned the hard way by experience, and I think that your book will set the standard for people to be productive and great performers for years to come, and we at Manager Mojo wish you continued success, and we want to encourage everybody to get a copy of this book and put it in their library immediately. So, well, thanks so much for having me. It's been an honor. Uh, it's our privilege. And uh, if we can help you at Manager Mojo, please don't hesitate to ask. And we look forward to hearing more great reviews from the book. I hope you enjoyed uh, the interview with Morton and that you go pick up a copy of Great at Work. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. You'll learn a tremendous amount of things that can, you can apply right away in your career.